At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. Take a moment and talk to the Father together. Would you pray with me? Lord, your kindness just sets the table for our worship. Thank you for not compromising your holiness in order to demonstrate your kindness. That you remain faithful and good. You remain separate from evil. But because of your mercy... And even the redemption that was provided through Jesus, you've come close and you've taken up residency in the lives of your children. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for walking with us through the storms, through the victories in every way. And Lord, we, we just want to pause and take a moment to acknowledge people even here in need of your grace and your mercy. I know there's people that are going through medical tests that they're, they're worried and they're concerned and not sure what the future holds. So hold them, Lord, and assure them of your care and your, your full understanding of the situation and your promise to make all things good. There's some that are struggling with decisions, the weighty decisions, and I thank you for giving us your wisdom that you've, you've promised, Lord, that we'd have the mind of Christ because you dwell in us. So thank you for that. And I thank you that, Lord, as we listen, as we draw close to you, as we abide in you, we can bear the fruit that you've ordained for us to bear. Lord, I thank you for those that have made incredible decisions. We even look forward to this afternoon and the baptism uh, that will be uh, performed today, Lord, and the, the men who are leading their family and, and following your truth, Lord, and declaring you as their Lord and their Savior through baptism. And I, I pray this would be a day they'd never forget. And I pray this the whole day would be special and you'd protect them and you'd empower them to live boldly for you. And then, Lord, as we come together with your, in your word and as we allow it to speak to us, Father, I pray that uh, nothing that you have to say to us would fall off. Uh, our mind and our heart instead would penetrate deeply. I pray that you'd change us through your truth. We, you'd reveal to us things in our lives that don't consistently radiate your glory, things that need to be offered as, uh, as, as sacrifices to you. Lord, reveal to us areas of selfishness or uh, the pride of life or any other thing that holds us back from experiencing all the glory of, of walking close with you. So be with us as we study your word. 
Thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for praying with me. And I'd invite you to turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18, if you would, please. Kings 18. Yesterday was a special day at Woodside as uh, all of our life group leaders joined together from all our campuses for a conference of equipping and edification. Uh, So the life group leaders at Woodside Algonac are super excited about this next season. A number of our groups, of course, have uh, taken a slower pace this summer. You've met for barbecues and picnics and things. Uh, some have stepped out of that regular rhythm of meeting twice a month or every week, however their groups meet. Um, and so as we head towards September, we're starting to look at getting re-engaged into the regular rhythms of joining together in community. Uh, so I don't know, I just want to say, if you're not connected into a life group yet, now's the time to let us know if you'd like to join us. We've got several groups with plenty of room and we'd love to have you join with us. We really feel like this is an opportunity for you to find spiritual family, to connect with people uh, in a way that when someone's struggling, people know and they can care for them. Or when it's your turn to struggle, you've got a family around you. Or, or this is a group where, where you can encourage one another. You know, our spiritual growth and development was intended to be in community, not on an island, uh, but with one another. Uh, so life groups are a great way to experience that. So if you're not connected, you know, if you got a bulletin when you came in today, most of you did, there's a communication card there. That's a great tool to use. Um, if you'd like information on anything or maybe, maybe you're ready to join a life group, just put your name and check mark on that box. Uh, either put it in one of our offering boxes um, or you can give it to the Connect desk and, and we'll get with you and see which group fits best for your life. Uh, but we'd love to have you join that. So good things coming this fall. Looking forward to that. All right, First Kings chapter 18, as we continue a series on the life of, of Elijah, one of the prophets uh, that spoke to the nation of Israel in, in Jewish history. It's recorded in the book of First Kings. Uh, and there's some really crazy stories in Elijah's, Elijah's biography. Um, some things that just kind of blow your mind and kind of sometimes makes you wonder, is he like one of those Marvel, you know, superheroes? Is he an Avenger? Uh, is, does he have some abilities or capacities that we don't have? Is, is, is he kind of like a, here's, here's us and then here's Elijah, kind of that superhuman. Um, but just, just to make sure you know, the Apostle James wrote in his letter to the church that Elijah was a man with human nature just like us. In other words, he's as human as you are, as human as I am. He's just a person simply called by God to partner with God in declaring God's glory in his generation, just like you are. You're not probably going to take your winter scarf and slap it on the St. Clair River and watch it part so you don't have to pay the ferry to get over to Walpole Island. That's probably not going to happen. You're probably not going to say, man, am I hungry? And an angel will come with a, with, a, with a platter of food that will sustain you for 40 days. I don't know, maybe. All I know is the key to living a Christian life 
is taking God for his word and then living in obedience and dependence. That's what Elijah did. That's what we looked at last week of how he trusted God. He took God for his word and then obeyed it and lived in dependence on God. And God provided some amazing things, amazing scenes of God's glory through his life. And that's what he wants for all of us. So I don't know how you've done this past week of taking God for his word and living in full dependence on him and living in fullness of the Holy Spirit and, and obeying what he's called you to do. But I'm telling you, that's the key. That's the key to a joy-filled life, abiding in the vine so you can bear the fruit. So that's his story. Today we're looking at another epic moment in his life. Uh, and we'll see as we study what we could call the theology of idolatry. What the scripture says about fake gods. Because the fake gods abound in Israel's day that we're looking at in the book of 1 Kings. Uh, they were truly, they were worshiping Structures. I'm reading through Jeremiah in my chronological reading through the year. Um, and I'm in a, a Jeremiah right now, and in, I think it's chapter 10. It's an interesting chapter. It talks about uh, kind of the irony of idolatry in that day. It's, it, it's, a, it's like a parable. People go into the woods, and they cut down a tree, and they shape the tree into a form. They cover it with, wood, with gold and silver, and then they pray and give themselves to this piece of wood. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, does this even make sense? Why you would take something that's not even, it's not even alive and you would devote your life to it. And it's easy to kind of look back and well, that's why we don't have idols in our living room or on our front yard or whatever. But the reality is there's lots of forms of idols, aren't there? things that we have an affection for greater than our affection for God, things that we trust to provide us joy and life more than what we think God will provide. We can place that affection in a lot of different things. In fact, uh, there's a great book called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. If you've never read that book, I commend it to you. It's wonderful. Tim Keller uh, met Jesus here just a couple months ago, a wonderful statesman for the church. Um, and, and in this book, he, d he defined an idol. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. That is an idol. A counterfeit God, he writes, is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. In other words, you can kind of see an indicator in your life on whether you are starting to make something an idol by how you respond when that thing maybe becomes threatened how you respond when maybe a financial crisis, crisis hits, how you respond when there's relational conflict or when your physical uh, situation is affected. What is your response? What's the level of whether it's anxiety or, or concern? It can be an indicator 
on what that level of affection we've placed on that thing other than God. So as we look at Elijah's life, let me caution you not to just think of idols are this thing we cut off a tree, coat it with silver and gold, and we place and we give them our apples. Instead, think of an idol as anything that you have affection for that's greater than your affection for God. Anything that you seek joy from receiving instead of receiving that joy from God himself. Another uh, really powerful uh, verse out of Jeremiah that I encountered this week was in chapter 2. And it says this, My people have done two evil things. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. My people have done two evil things. Put two fingers up. All right? Hold the one finger. Here's the first thing. God says, my people have done two evil things. One, they have abandoned me. They've turned away from me. They've forgotten to pray. They've neglected worship. They've lived a life as if I'm irrelevant. They've abandoned me. Okay, now grab that second finger. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns. I skipped a line. My people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me. Here's how he describes himself. The fountain of living water. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And number two, they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So not only have they neglected God, they have dug God, who is the source of living water, right? So... In, in Israel, living water was water that flowed. It came from the mountains. It was clean, and it was pure, and it flowed. And, and because of that, you found a continual source of life from that living water. And God says, that's me. As Jesus later would say, I am the living water. Whoever drinks from me will never thirst again. In other words, he's saying, I will just continue to provide. That's who I am. God says, they've stopped drinking from the living water, and they went out and they've dug a hole, and they've hoped that water would kind of rise and settle. This water's stagnant, but they think this stagnant water will give more life to them. But the reality is, the cistern can't even hold the water. So they've abandoned me, and they keep trying to drink from something that will never, has no promise to provide. So with that of the backdrop of God's concern for the nation of Israel, let's look at the life of Elijah. Chapter 17, you remember that God called Elijah to go to King Ahab, who was a, the king of Israel, but he had married a pagan a worshiper of Baal, uh, Jezebel, and had led the people into this terrible season of idolatry, worshiping the god Baal. And Elijah spoke for God and said, because of your idolatry, it's not going to rain here until God says it's going to. And then he walks away, and then a drought comes, and they live this extended season with no rain. Then we get to chapter 18. It says, after many days, verse 1, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, and the famine was severe in Samaria. 
So Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go throughout the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save, not his people, may we save the horses and the mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. And Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered, It is I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, he's not here, he would take, they would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell the Lord, behold, Elijah is here. As soon as I've gone from you, the spirit of the Lord is going to carry you. I don't know where. And when I come and tell Ahab he can't find you, he'll kill me. Although I'm your servant who have feared the Lord from my youth. Has not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men in the Lord's, of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell the Lord, behold, Elijah's here. He's going to kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Are you with me so far? This is quite a story. This is, there's this huge conflict being set up here. Elijah wanted to destroy, or Ahab wanted to destroy Elijah because if he, if he can knock him out, there goes the main leader and spokesman for God. So Eli, Ahab's out to finalize this battle. Let's keep reading. Hang with us. Verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, troubler of Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel. You have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Whew. So here's this battle that's being set up. Are you the trouble of Israel, Ahab says? No, I'm not the troubler. You are because you've abandoned the Lord and are worshiping Baal. Now, I don't know if you were here last week and how much Ryan talked about who this Baal character was. Uh, he was a false god. The word Baal means owner or lord or master. He was known as the god of the storm, god of fertility. The worship of Baal involved male and female prostitution, sorcery, encampments, magic. It even led, in a few generations later, to child sacrifice. Because here's the thing about following fake gods 
is that that pursuit will always take you further than you ever dreamed you would go. Your devotion to something fake would cause you to spend or do things that you never dreamed you would. As an example of that, I thought this week of the, um, the college admit- admissions um, scene that was, it was there a couple years ago. Do you remember that? When some of the high-profile people, some of the very wealthy people in the nation were discovered trying to buy admissions to, for their children into high-profile schools. Do you remember that? Some actors and actresses, some, some politicians, some, um, some wealthy CEOs and people that made wonderful fame for themselves. They were so passionate about their kids getting access to the best of education. They were paying bribes. Uh, they were cheating on exams just to get their kids in a place. Some paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to admit them into a school where they would have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. One person was found to have spent six million dollars in bribes and cheating in order to get their kids enrolled in one of these Ivy League schools. And as as you read those, as I read those accounts, I thought, that doesn't even make sense to me. Why would you spend six... Why don't you give your kids six million dollars and say, there, there, that'll set you up for a while. Instead of paying that just to get them into, how are they going to do in school? Are they going to be a success? Who knows? But here's the thing with fake gods. It will take you much further than you ever dreamed it would take you. Because it blinds us. It blinds us to what those idols demand from us. Let's read more of the story. Where did we end? Verse 19. Let's go 20. Yep. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am the left of the prophets of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. So let two bowls be given to us. Let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire to it. Now we'll prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first. You are many, call on the name of your God and put no fire on it. And they took the bull that was given them, they prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. And they were saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. 
Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves after the custom with swords and lances and the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the ovulation. And there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. So here's the thing about idols, as we see. One, they corrupt our lives. They distort our thinking. It takes us to places we never thought we would go. Secondly, these idols have no life. Just like this Baal God, there was, there's only one God. There's not many. The reality is there's not many to choose from. There's only one God, only one creator. There's only one God that can send the fire from heaven. And all that they did would do nothing to result in this fire. And oh, they thought it would. In fact, who, who, who's a better one to turn to than the God of the storm? Right? I mean, I want the God of storm. If I need fire, a big lightning bolt should do the trick. So they thought they had the corner on this battle. But the reality is idols have no life. Again, Jeremiah, one of his descriptions of idolatry is, he says, it's like the idols, false gods, are a, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Think of that like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. They just stand there. They have no power of their own. It's just an acknowledgement of something that you can trust, whether it works, whether it not. You have no guarantee. It's like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. There's no life. It can't hear. It can't speak. Now, it's not saying that Satan and his, and his angels don't have influence. In fact, they have power. They can deceive. They can make counterfeits. In fact, that's what Satan's so good at. He can't create, but he can, he can counterfeit. And that's what he so often does. He creates these counterfeit gods, things that we can choose, but those things never have life. It never produces the life that we long for that calls us uh, to them. In other words, the God of prosperity, if that's our idol, it won't produce lasting joy because prosperity only gets us so far. And it always leaves us realizing that there's more to gain. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thirst that can never be satisfied because there's always someone more prosperous than we are. The God of fame does not produce value no matter what you do to make a name for yourself, you'll always be insecure because no position is the ultimate. And every time you reach a position, you'll feel the threats coming against you and there'll be this spirit of paranoia because you've constructed this and this has no life. The God of power does not produce security because there's always another power greater than you. Fake gods have no life. Fake gods 
always leave those who pursue them empty in the end. They went to this crazy extreme, and there was no answer. Instead, did you notice what happened in verse 28? It said they got to the extreme where they started cutting themselves with swords and lances, right? And the blood gushed out upon them. In other words, idols don't just, aren't just lifeless, they actually take life. Not only do they not have life, they rob you of life. What, are the, what a beautiful picture, a tragic picture of the destiny that our false gods provide. When we look to these other things for the joy and the abundance that God's intended to give us, whether that be our relationships, our emotional health, or our physical health, or eternal destiny, anything you construct or you try to accomplish, it will take life. Only Yahweh, only Jehovah, only the one true God gives life. All right, so here's, here's the theology of false gods. One, it will corrupt you. Two, it has no life. Three, it will take your life. So it's Elijah's turn. Let's see, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. He put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, now fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did a third time. So now there's 12 of these large vessels filled with water poured out, soaking the wood and the altar. The water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know if you underline in your Bible, underline that phrase, that the world may know. That is a center theme of Scripture. Anytime you see that theme, underline that. Because this is God's ambition in the world. What he does is so that the world may know him. Not so that you are made in such a special way, but that you, the world may know him. He's the center of the story. All right, sorry. Keep reading. Where was I? Thank you. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. 
And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. They seized them. Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. After warning and warning and warning, after season of drought and a season of no rain, these leaders of idolatry refused to acknowledge, refused to, to repent, and judgment came. Only Yahweh has the power to send fire down from heaven. Elijah didn't cut himself with swords or do all kind of crazy things. He just prayed. That's why James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, like Elijah when he prayed. Elijah was a man just like us, but he trusted in the one true God. He took God for his word, and he lived in obedience and dependence. And great things happened. Fire came down from heaven as God proves his supremacy over all things. This past week, I believe I saw fire from heaven. Not necessarily in a literal sense, but let me just tell you, and maybe, maybe this don't, doesn't move you like it did me, but this past week, our family joined together to celebrate Nancy's parents' 60th anniversary. We all met down in Pigeon Forge, 50 people all gathered together, and we heard story after story of their life, and um, the very basic essence of their life is both were raised in poverty, both raised by families that were very far from God, but due to uh, a church's youth ministry, they gave their hearts to Jesus as teenagers, and they became friends, and early on, what were they, 18 years old, they got married, and they said, we want to give, we want to experience and give our family something we have never had, and that's a godly home. They had no models to follow, they had no training in such, but they had dependence on God and trusting in his word, taking God for his word. And so they faithfully loved one another through the ups and downs of life. And life was hard. Challenges abounded. But they remained faithful to God. And God bore some incredible fruit in their life. And for 60 years, they just honored each other. They lived humbly before each other and before God. And they depended on him. And they said they were sorry over and over to one another. And they... They served one another faithfully. And there in Pitchin Forge, Tennessee, I saw fire from heaven. It wasn't literal fire. I just saw evidence of God's supremacy and his smile and his proof that if you want abundant life, take God for his word, live in obedience, and utter dependence on him. And I've watched fire from heaven in some of your situations. I've heard some of your stories and how you trusted God, although all the evidence said trust something else, you remain faithful to God and God 
brought his glory in a very special way. And your testimony to others to see that, see, see, it didn't, it didn't cost them cutting themselves with swords and, and lances. They just trusted in God and followed him. And God provided his blessings. And that's what God wants for each one of us. Again, I don't think we're going to call a competition with any people that don't believe with God. We're going to set up these two things. We're not, no, that's not, that's not how it is. That's not what God calls us to. He just wants the world to know what a wonderful God he is. And he shows that faithfully through his followers that take him for his word and trust him and obey and live dependent on him. And maybe there's some of you that even in this moment, God's bringing to you all these reasons why, you know, following Jesus is the only answer I truly have. You see, at just the right time, God sent his son into this world to redeem the world so that the world could be saved through him. And this son, Jesus, said and proved that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he that believes in him has life. Those that don't believe will not have life. But he is the only way to the Father. Jesus rose from the dead to prove that every word he said can be trusted. And he's gone to his Father's house to prepare a place for us that believe in him, and, and maybe, there's, maybe there's some in our room today that maybe this is the day for you where you'd say, everything else I've been trusting has left me hungry and thirsty, so I'm trusting now in Jesus. Later on this afternoon, we have a handful of people that will be testifying to us today through their baptism. They want you to know as Elijah said in this moment, who are you going to worship? The fake gods or the true God? And they're saying, I want the world to know we're worshiping the true God. We've given our lives to Jesus. Maybe there's someone here that would say, I've been wrestling with that decision, but I'm ready. I'm ready today. I want to follow him. You talk to us afterwards. We'll help you get ready, even for this afternoon. Because there's nothing better than getting rid of the fake idols in embracing the one true God. Let's pray together. Father, all of us have that tendency to turn to things other than you. We admit that sometimes it is a challenge to live by faith and trusting in someone we can't see. But Lord, you've given us so much evidence around, Lord, that you are real, you are powerful and you are supreme. And there's plenty of evidence that you have sent your son, that he is the son of God, that he did give his life on the cross and that he did rise again and that he's given plenty of evidence that whoever trusts in him will have life, sins forgiven, a home in heaven. And so, Lord, those fake gods that we've turned to once in a while, I pray, Lord, a spirit of repentance now. I, we admit that as sin. We want to turn from that. 
and turn fully to you. Maybe you revealed in some of our hearts, Lord, specific things that right now, individually, we just offer them to you. Forgive us for trusting in our money, trusting in our home, trusting in our health, trusting in our country, trusting in a politician, trusting in good doctrine, trusting in a good church. Anything other than you, Father, will leave us empty. Lord, we want you alone. You are enough. You are sufficient. You have proven that you are enough. And that is where we want our heart to go. So as we respond to this story, this epic story in the scripture, Lord, we want to say with the people, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is my God. Jesus is my Savior. He's my master. Baal is not my master. He has nothing to offer. Only Jesus. This is our prayer. We pray this in Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.